We'll begin in verse 25, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. The Bible says, and behold. Now that's becoming a familiar word for us uh, lately. Last week, our text began with the Lord Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he said, behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. Remember this word, behold, it means Look up here. Listen to this. Pay attention. We've got something important to say. And last Sunday, uh, the Lord Jesus was trying to get our attention to remind us and to open our eyes to his great love for us on the cross. Then on Thursday night, our text began, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And on Thursday, uh, and for those who were there, thank you for coming and being there to, to hear God's word preached Uh, But on Thursday, with that word, behold, God was trying to get our attention about people in our lives like Zacchaeus who need Jesus. And so first, he's trying to get our attention about the cross and the love that was displayed there. Then on Thursday, trying to get our attention uh, about the need of lost people around us to experience God's love like Zacchaeus did. And this morning... Our text reads, verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You know what I believe the Lord wants to get our attention about this morning? He wants to open our eyes to who we really are. As we're going to find with this story and this lawyer's conversation with the Lord Jesus, he didn't really know who he was in the eyes of God. He didn't really know uh, what was demanded of him and and what was required uh, for eternal life. And and I think there are are some of us here this morning who don't really know who we are, uh, what we were created to be. We don't really understand what our lives as believers in Jesus Christ are supposed to look like. And I believe today God wants to open our eyes to how our lives need to begin showing the love of Christ, perhaps in ways that we've never seen before. And so God's trying to get our attention again this morning. He's saying, behold, look up here, listen, pay attention. Uh, And I pray that we will. Uh, Before we uh, continue reading the passage, let's pause and pray. And I would encourage you to ask the Lord from your heart to speak to you. Uh, And if you do that out of a sincere heart, I know that he will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you for your word. We thank you that this book is not like any other book, that your word is alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces even to the dividing asunder of our soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Father, you know us better then we know ourselves. You know what needs we have that maybe we're blind to. You know what things in our lives need to change. And you know how desperately each one of us needs the Lord Jesus in our daily lives. And so, Father, we pray that you would take your precious word and you would apply it to each of our hearts, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that we would Grasp these truths and be changed by them. Father, we pray that in all this, 
your son, the Lord Jesus, would be lifted up and glorified. Please guide the tongue of this preacher. Please give me the words to say. Please give me utterance and clarity and speak to each one of our hearts this morning. Lord, we came here for this one purpose, to hear from you. And so we pray that you would speak to us in a mighty way now. We need your help. Uh, without you, we can do nothing. I need your help to preach. Would you please help me? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 10, verse 25, the Bible says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, that's the Lord Jesus, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He, that's the Lord Jesus, said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he, that's the Lord Jesus, said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. What can we learn from this passage this morning? Well, first, if you're taking notes, uh, let me draw your attention to the setup of this passage, the setup of this parable. The story we just read, uh, it is indeed a parable. And this was one of the Lord Jesus' favorite uh, methods of teaching. A parable you could simply define as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So Lord Jesus would give people these vivid illustrations uh, of these spiritual truths that he was trying to communicate. Uh, it's been said that an estimated 35% of the Lord Jesus' teaching in the Gospels. So in your Bible, probably the letters in red, an estimated 35% of all that Jesus taught uh, was in parables. So obviously this kind of teaching is very important. And God has a lot to say to us through parables. But it's important that we interpret these accurately and correctly uh, because all kinds of strange ideas have been conjured up throughout the years, uh, and people have used parables uh, to try to spin different theories. And so we've got to be very careful about how we interpret these. And a fundamental rule when you're reading the Bible on your own or studying it or maybe preparing to teach a class, 
a fundamental rule about interpreting parables is to pay attention to the setup of the parable, to pay attention to what led Jesus to give this story, to the context of what he was saying. And so let's look together at the setup of this parable, the context in which the Lord Jesus gave this story. And first, if you're taking notes, notice the lawyer's question. The lawyer's question. Verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now notice this man, how he questions Jesus. First, what we see about how this man questions Jesus, we see his intent. We see his intent. It says he stood up and tempted him. Now, when we read, uh, behold, a certain lawyer, the image in our mind might be of a a guy in a nice suit and a briefcase going to court uh, and defending someone in court. But here in scripture, uh, when it says a lawyer, it's speaking of someone who is an expert in the Jewish law, in the Old Testament law. He was uh, a Bible expert, if you will. And so this Bible expert, this expert in the law of the Old Testament, this lawyer, he stands up and he tempts the Lord Jesus. This arrogant man who thinks he's expert in the scriptures stands up to tempt the Lord Jesus. Now this word tempt, it means to put someone to a test or to try to trap someone. And the religious leaders of the day were constantly doing this with the Lord Jesus. If you just look over in chapter 11, verse 53, Luke chapter 11, verse 53, it's speaking of these religious leaders, and we know that the lawyers are included because they're mentioned in verse 46. In verse 53 of chapter 11, and as he said these things unto them, so as Christ was speaking, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth, that they might accuse him. And so this man wasn't coming to Lord Jesus with an honest question of curiosity. He came with the intent intent of tempting the Lord and getting to him to say something whereby they might accuse him. Perhaps he wanted the Lord Jesus to say something like he did in John 6, 47. There the Lord Jesus had said, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And in that same passage, he says, he that believeth on me shall have everlasting life. And perhaps this lawyer was trying to goad the Lord Jesus into saying something like this, because to claim that belief in yourself uh, will give you eternal life is to claim that you are God. And that's what the Lord Jesus was doing. And the the Pharisees wanted to accuse him of blasphemy. Uh, They wanted to accuse him of all sorts of things. So maybe that was the intent of this liar. But regardless, we know that he didn't have an honest reason for coming to the Lord. His intent was to tempt him. Now, the word chosen by the Holy Spirit for tempt here is notable. It's worth our noticing. Because this word, this Greek word, it's an emphatic or thorough type of temptation. Uh, This lawyer wasn't just messing around. He he was very intent on causing the Lord to stumble, 
of accusing him of something. And this word is used just a couple other times in the New Testament. And in every occasion, it is speaking of people tempting God. Matthew 4, verse 7, the Lord Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. He says, it is written, he's talking to Satan, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And it's a similar phrasing in Luke 4, 12. Then in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 9 and 10, neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. There in 1 Corinthians, it's referring back uh, to the Old Testament Israelites who in the wilderness tempted God with their murmuring. God had provided all of their needs. He'd taken such good care, care of them, and they kept on complaining, and they tempted the Lord. They put him to the test. They put his mercy to the test. They said, oh, you're, you're going to judge sin? Well, let's see if you judge this. And the Lord did respond in judgment. And I wonder this morning if there are any in our midst like this lawyer who by the way you live or maybe by some of the things you say, you're standing up and you're tempting the Lord. Galatians 6 verse 7 has a warning for all believers. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So if you've been in church and you've been exposed to the scriptures and you have the Lord Jesus living in your heart, you've called upon his name and believed in him as your savior, and you know what is right, you've been taught the good and the right way, how to live a life that is pleasing to God and that is blessed, how to lay up treasure in heaven, and you say, you know what, God? I don't know if that's true. I don't believe that what you say is accurate. I'm going to put you to the test. And I'm going to disregard what you taught me in this book, and I'm going to see how it turns out. And you're tempting the Lord. Now, in the case of this lawyer, the Lord is very gracious here. The Lord knows his heart, but instead of condemning this man right here for, for tempting him, it gives him the truth. And he gives him an opportunity to repent. He gives him an opportunity to make changes. And you know that's how the Lord responds to us during our life down here. The Lord is long-suffering to us. Where in every single one of us, we've tempted the Lord throughout our life. We've disobeyed clear commands of Scripture and put God's mercy to the test. And over and over, he's been gracious to us and not given us all that we deserve but Christian, you've got to understand there is coming a day when you are going to give account for how you live. And you are going to stand before God and, and we are going to receive the things done in our body, whether they're good or bad. And if you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, your eternity is secure. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. That's impossible. Once you've received Christ as your Savior, you're saved forever. But you can lose reward. You can lose blessing. You can lose opportunities for God to use you to bring salvation to other people. And you can tempt the Lord. You can put him to the test. You can say, God, I don't believe you. 
But one day you're going to find out that everything he said in this book is true. And you can tempt him all you will, like this lawyer did, but there came a day the lawyer found out I was wrong. And Christian, God is coming to you in love this morning, and he's trying to get you to see now that you're wrong so that you can make changes before it's too late. But let me please plead with you not to tempt the Lord. Numbers 32, verse 23, some sobering words. Be sure your sin will find you out. Christian, are you partaking in some secret sin that no one else knows about? You're looking at something on a phone that no one else in your home knows about? God does. And let me urge you not to tempt him. He is gracious. He is long-suffering. But one day it's going to be too late. Don't tempt the Lord like this man tempted him. I wonder if there are any in our midst who have been given the gospel. You've been given the opportunity to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to call upon his name so that you can have everlasting life, but you've rejected God's offer of salvation. I would urge you this morning, you don't know what tomorrow holds. You have no guarantee that you will live past today. And to tempt the Lord, to tempt his mercy, oh, I can make that decision later. Oh, I can call upon Christ's name another time. Oh, I can worry about this matter of being born again down the road. Don't tempt the Lord. Hebrews 10, verse 29. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who have trodden underfoot the Son of God? And had counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing. And had done despite unto the spirit of grace. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. And listen here. The text finishes, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And I'm urging you this morning because God doesn't want to judge you. He doesn't want you to face the penalty for your sin. That is why he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die on a cross to take your punishment for you. And you have a choice. Are you going to believe in his name for salvation or are you going to continue to reject? And I'm urging you today, don't tempt the Lord. Don't tempt his mercy. Today is the day. Of salvation. This man's intent was to tempt the Lord. And, and you can make that same choice. God has given you a free will. Lost people and saved people alike, we can choose to tempt the Lord. But one day the tables are going to be turned. We're going to find out that what God said was true, and it's going to be too late. This man's intent was to stand up and arrogantly tempt the Lord. And that's what we're doing when we blatantly disobey God. We're standing up and shaking our fist at him and saying, are you really going to come through on what you said? And I urge you, don't tempt the Lord. We keep looking in this passage at the setup of this parable. And not only do we see this lawyer's intent, but we see his insincerity, his insincerity. Notice verse 25. He says, master, master. Now, this was the common term for a rabbinical teacher. Uh, any expert in the law who taught people was called master. 
uh, likely this lawyer. People called him master. And so uh, this man wasn't paying any great deal of respect to the Lord by calling him master. It's like calling him teacher. But even though he's using this term that doesn't show that much respect, even in using this term, he's using it insincerely. Because you keep reading the passage, and he's asking Christ, calling him master, would you tell me what I must do to have eternal life? But he's already got his mind made up. It's not a sincere question. He really doesn't want to hear what the Lord Jesus has to say. And how many of us in our lives as believers, we've made up our mind about something, and then we go to God in prayer and say, Master, should I do this? And if God tells us something that we don't want to hear, we just go ahead and do what we want anyway. Or we're just looking to God in prayer to give some kind of rubber stamp on what we're doing so that we can feel better about it. And teenagers, I've been there. This is often how I was with my parents. And let me urge you not to be like this. How many of you as teens, you've made up your mind about something? I'm going to do this. I want to do this. I want this. I want that. And you go to your parents to get permission because you don't want to get in trouble. But you already know what your parents are going to say. Or you already know... Uh, that they probably don't want you doing that. And so you come with this insincere heart. You've got your mind made up. You ask them. But if it's not what you want to hear, you just go ahead and do what you want anyway. Or you throw a fit or, or whatever it is. Teenager, don't come to your parents like that. Come with a humble heart. Be not wise in your own eyes. And Christian, let's not go to God in prayer with this insincerity of asking him what his will is but we've already got our mind made up about it. This man was insincere. He didn't really want to hear what Jesus had to say. He already had his mind made up. And so often we can do the same thing. Finally, as we're looking at the setup of this parable and and, and this man's question, this liar's question, notice his insinuation. He says, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You know what he's insinuating? He thinks that he, by his own good deeds, can earn favor with God. He's insinuating insinuating that, uh, Lord Jesus, what kind of good works can I add to my to-do list to earn favor with God and to gain eternal life? And you know what else he's insinuating by that question? that he doesn't need the Lord Jesus. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? I don't need you, the Lord Jesus. What shall I do? And you know, this is the misguided question that is at the front of every world religion. And I don't like referring to Christianity, at least the biblical kind, as a religion, uh, because There's biblical Christianity, the one way to seek God, and then there's everything else. And this is the misguided question that is leading all kinds of false religion. What shall I do in my strength, in my power, in my goodness to earn favor with God? You know, that's why Catholicism is so popular. You know, that's why Islam is so popular. You know, that is why Buddhism, and you can go down the list, 
That is why they're all so popular, because this way of thinking, this question, what shall I do, they're in favor with God, appeals to human pride. Every single false religion, you can boil it down to this, I'm really not all that bad, and if I do just a few good things, God's going to let me into heaven. And with that question, not only do we insinuate that we think we're good enough to earn favor with God, but we say to the Lord Jesus to his face, I don't need you. And that is why you cannot be practicing some other faith and then say, I believe in Jesus and be saved. It's belief in Jesus Christ wholesale, nothing more, nothing less. If you are trusting anything other than Jesus Christ's blood to get you into heaven, you won't be getting through the pearly gates. Because Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But this man comes to the Lord Jesus in his human pride, thinking that he can earn his way to heaven. And this was the problem with all the religious leaders. And this is why the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 10, verses 1 through 3, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them a record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. What's he saying there? They're sincere. They're passionate. But it's not according to the knowledge of God. They're sincerely wrong. And you can be a sincere and a passionate and a zealous Catholic or Muslim or Buddhist, but if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are dead in your sins and you desperately need Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul in that same passage, he said, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness. This liar, that was his problem. He was ignorant of God's righteousness. And we're going to see that further on in the passage. And going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. That is humanity's problem. God is holy. God is just. He sets the standards for how humanity should behave. But you know what humanity has said? Has said I don't like your rules. They're too hard. You're too holy. You're too good. I can't do that. So we reject Christ's righteousness and God's righteousness, and we go about to establish our own. I keep reading this passage. We've looked at the lawyer's question. But notice next, the Lord's quip. The Lord's quip. The Lord had a way of always having a clever response. And here in verse 26, he said unto him, what is written in the law? How readest thou? You can almost sense some sarcasm in the Lord's voice. You're coming to me, an expert in the law. You, you think you've got it all together. You've got it figured out. What do you think? Well, what have you read in the law? But Christian, you know, we can expect the Lord to respond to us like this when we come to him with questions. When you're asking the Lord about what his will is for a decision in your life, you know what he's going to respond with? What is written in my word? How readest thou? You know, there's no reason that we as Christians should ever be confused. 
oh sure, there's going to be times where we feel confused, but we don't have to stay there. Because this book has the answers. And God, when you're asking him for help, when you're asking him for guidance, he's going to say, what is written in my word? I've already told you what you need to do. You just need to find it. But notice also, not only does he point us back to the word, but he makes us personally accountable. He says, what is written in the law? How readest thou? Now, we as human beings, we are really, really good at escaping responsibility, at, at blame shifting. We do something wrong, but it's, it's never our fault. But here, the Lord Jesus puts the responsibility squarely on this man. How readest thou? And Christian, whether it's a young person or someone who's been in church a long time, God is holding us responsible for what we've read in this book. And if we have the ability to read, we can know God, we can know his will, and we can please him. And we are all personally accountable. And we can try to shift the blame to other people or circumstances for why we're disobeying God. But the Lord Jesus looks at us and says, how readest thou? You've got my scriptures. You know what God expects. How readest thou? You know, we can learn a lot from the Lord Jesus' response here. It's not just what the Lord Jesus said in the Gospels. It's how he said it. And parents, this is, if you don't get anything else out of the sermon, this is gold for your parenting. Your child comes to you with a question. Even if you think you know the answer, why don't you get in the habit of saying, what is written in God's word? How readest thou? And put the onus on your child to look into God's word at what his will is. Because often we as children, because I've been a child, I, I'm still a child of my parents. We have this way of, of blaming our parents for our disobedience. Oh, they, they told me to do such and such, but then they messed up here. So now I'm not responsible to obey them because if they were better parents, yada, 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 yada. And if parents got in the habit of pointing their children back to the scriptures, ultimately, teens, young people, you're accountable not, not just to your parents, you're accountable to God. And you have a responsibility to look in this book at what God says. And how many times would we avoid saying things we shouldn't or giving bad advice if we would make this a habit? When people come to us with questions, even if you're not parents, if a fellow believer comes to you with a question about something, Let's turn them back to the Bible. What is written here? What has God said? How readest thou? So much we can learn from the Lord Jesus, his little quip here. But he, he directs this man uh, back to the word of God, and he asks him to tell him what he thinks is required for eternal life. And next, as we're looking at the setup to this parable, notice the lawbreaker's quandary. The lawbreaker's quandary. A quandary, it's a, it's a tough situation that you don't know how you're going to get out of. And that's what this man found himself in. Notice verse 27. And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And any... any student of the Jewish scriptures would have given the same answer. This is uh, the, the, the Hebrew Shammai. They, they had it on their doorposts. Everyone knew 
These are the two great things that God expects of us, to love him with all of our being, every, every fiber of our humanity, we are to love God. And then we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. So he answers correctly. This is straight out of the Bible. You can look in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, or Leviticus 19, 18. Uh, this is where this is summarized. So he answers correctly. And the Lord Jesus said, Thou hast answered right, this do and thou shalt live. And if this man had been sincere, maybe he could have walked away at this point and, and tried to get to work. Or, or, or maybe he could have fallen down before God and said, I can't do that. I'm not capable. Because he had asked in verse 25, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord Jesus has made it plain for him. Love God with all your being and love your neighbor as yourself. That is required. If you want to earn favor with God, that is what is required. But here's his quandary. Here's his dilemma. Verse 29. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You know what was going through this man's mind? I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself? Immediately he thinks of individuals in his life whom he does not love. And he's never loved. And he never sees himself loving these people. And he's got a dilemma. I can't do that. I can't love these people. I can't, I can't live up to, to, to God's expectations. And so what does he do instead of falling down humbly before God and saying, I'm guilty of breaking your law. I need Jesus Christ to pay for my sins. At this point, he hasn't yet died on the cross. But for us today, that can be our understanding of this. And instead of doing that, he looks for an excuse. Who is my neighbor? There's got to be certain people that I don't have to love. I mean, they've got to meet certain qualifications for, for me to have to expend energy and care upon them. Who's my neighbor, Lord? Maybe, maybe I can find a loophole here, and all these people that I don't like, I don't really have to love, and then somehow I can meet the qualifications. He's in this perplexity, and so he's looking for an excuse. And all humanity comes to that decision, whether they're going to make excuses or, or, or seek a way to continue trying. It, it says here, he willing to justify himself. That means he wanted to make himself righteous and pleasing to God. But as you'll find as you read this story, the Lord Jesus makes it plain that we can't do that, that we cannot earn God's favor. The only way we can have God's favor is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross. Now, we've spent a lot of time with the setup here. And I hope you're getting, a, getting an idea of why the Lord now gave him this parable about the Good Samaritan. But we don't really have time to do it justice. And I, I believe the Lord has spoken to us already this morning. And so I would encourage you to, to put yourself in this lawyer's shoes. Are, are you a lost person, an unbeliever? trying to work your way into heaven, you're trusting things other than Jesus Christ to get you there, I would urge you to call upon Christ's name and be saved. But, but Christian, I would, I would also urge you, have you come face to face with, with God's will for your life, his perfect will, 
what he wants you to do so he can bless you and so that he can use you to bring salvation to others? Have you come face to face with his commands? And instead of throwing your hands up in desperation, asking the Lord Jesus to fill you with his spirit and to empower you to do these things that you can't do on your own, or have you sought to escape responsibility through some loophole? Either way, we need to come face to face with the fact that we desperately need the Lord Jesus. We can't get to heaven without him, and we certainly can't live a life pleasing to God without him. And Christian, we need to quit building these uh, these facades like the, the Jewish leaders of the day of, of a, a righteousness that, that, that we can come up with, that we can create. And we've got to understand that the level of righteousness that God expects is only possible by walking in the Spirit and depending on the Lord Jesus Christ every day. So I hope that's helped you. I'm sorry we didn't even get into the parable yet, but I hope that's encouragement to you to come back tonight and we'll actually begin looking at the story Uh, and some lessons we can take from it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that you love us. And Lord, we can see your love for the Lord Jesus. Uh, We can see your love expressed through the Lord Jesus in this account. Lord, he knew this man's heart. He he knew his wickedness. He knew his pride. And, And yet he responds to him with the truth and with love. And Lord, that's what you've done in all of our lives here today. And I pray that however you've spoken to us, whatever decisions we need to make, that we would recognize your love in in rebuking us, that we would recognize how you just want what's best for us, and we would, by faith, obey you and cling to the Lord Jesus Christ, recognizing that only in him can we live a life pleasing to you. Father, please work in our midst now during this invitation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.